lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today. Today, we know we're going to talk about a four-letter word that many of us have struggled with, and it's diet. And I've got Suzanne Fisher, and she has built Fisher Nutrition Systems using her expertise as a registered dietitian, licensed nutritionist, as well as over 25 years of experience in weight loss management, nutritional counseling, meal planning, recipe creation, along with her passion for technology. She's also a healthy wage nutrition advisor, and she's an authority on weight loss, gamification, and behavioral economics. And we're going to learn a lot more about that. And basically what that means is giving people money to lose weight. And certainly it sounds motivating to me. Um, She's got a Bachelor of Science in Dietetics and Nutrition, a Master of Science in Nutrition and Exercise Physiology. She has extensive expertise as a consultant to leading organizations in their nutritional systems. She is a subject matter expert. She is seen regularly on the South Florida News. And her meal planning products and nutrition insights have been featured in Prevention, Reader's Digest, Glamour, and Self Magazines. Suzanne, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me, Lee. I appreciate it. Well, you know, it's so interesting to me because I don't think that there is a female out there that at some point in her life hasn't tried to to diet for, you know, for not necessarily maybe for to lose weight, but to tone. And everyone has struggled with it. But the idea of moting, motivating somebody by using cash, I think, is really a unique concept. Tell me more about that. It is really interesting. Um, you know, as we both know, it, it can be really hard to get motivated to get started. Sometimes just hearing some bad news, perhaps, from the physician is enough to motivate people. Sometimes not. So what I think is one of the most significant effects of gamification, um, in this case, talking about even something like healthy wage, is that it does provide a jumpstart to a healthy lifestyle and possibly even weight loss. Um, You know, changing behaviors can be difficult. And we both know very monotonous sometimes, you know, after a while, people get bored of what they're doing. And this type of program, this gamification can motivate participants towards behavioral change using camaraderie, almost in a fun and approachable way, which I think is really important when you are looking to lose weight and needing that sort of support to keep going. Well, I think that it's very hard to for any behavioral change to get started with it. Yes. And, you know, we talk to ourselves, we tell us ourselves how beneficial it's going to be. Then we get into the shoulds and the goods and the musts. And, you know, you should do this, you must do this. And that certainly is dismotivating because then they shoulds bring out their two little friends, shame and blame. (laughs) Well, shame on you. It's all your fault. So this is such a unique approach, you know, actually offering people cash and so how does it work? So basically, there's 
different challenges that individuals can decide to participate in. Some of them are actually free and don't cost anything. Um, some of them are very low cost. Actually, most of them are very low cost. But they're basically it's an algorithm. You put in how much you need to lose and the amount of time it's going to take. And that determines how much money you're going to end up making if you happen to meet your goal. What's interesting about apps like Healthy Wage, though, is that they do have guardrails in place because I know we probably are thinking, I know you're probably thinking, well, somebody could just starve themselves, drop all their weight and make the money. But there are guardrails in place to prevent this from happening, where if Healthy Wage just see that somebody's losing too much weight too fast, they do get disqualified, which I think is really important because research has really shown that slower the weight loss, the longer the maintenance period is going to be. And we all know the maintenance is the hard part, not the weight loss. So that's what I think is very interesting. Well, I think that is an excellent point because mm-hmm. by the time that we all get ready to do something about it, I mean, and I work with a lot of the Brain Performance Center, a lot of anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. ADHD. And by the time someone reaches a point where like, okay, mm-hmm. I am going to do something about this. They have waited so long. Yeah, They have thought about it for so long that their natural first step is I'm just going to jump in there and I'm going to just do it. And whether you're fighting weight loss or anxiety, that's not how you truly change behavior. I I agree a hundred percent. You know, and and yes, you could sit there and say, okay, well, you know, you're almost like, um, you know, bribing yourself, but sometimes that's what may be needed to push you towards those healthy those healthy behaviors. And I find with my own clients that once they start one healthy behavior, then another healthy behavior follows and then another follows and they just start living this healthier lifestyle. And with healthy wage, they've had over 500 people and participants lose over a hundred pounds, which is pretty transformative when you think about it, because that can make the difference between somebody living a quality life and somebody potentially developing some sort of comorbidity that could have been prevented. Well, and sometimes that comorbidity can be depression or anxiety. Yes. 100%. And I mean, it, so it, it's such a double-edged sword. And I've seen statistics that show, and I don't know exactly, you probably do, what percent of Americans have obesity and and what I've read is that usually the prevalence is higher in people from a low income mm-hmm. and minority populations and then they feel like they don't have I've mm-hmm. had I've had clients tell me I don't have the money to buy organic food now right. things have changed in the last you know few years right. you can get organic food everywhere but it's still more expensive It's important to note, though, that in terms of individuals that do live in food deserts or of lower socioeconomic means, I do counsel with people of all different walks of life. And I I do tell them that I'd rather they eat, if they can't afford the organic berries, just buy berries or buy frozen berries, because it's 
for me, I feel like it's the quality of food versus it saying the word organic, because believe it or not, even in organic farming, they're still using some form of pesticides. There's still some that are being used. And honestly, everybody should be washing their fruits and vegetables, whether it's organic or not, and making sure, you know, it comes from farms, it's in you know, holding warehouses, we should be washing our fruits and vegetables anyway. Um, but there actually isn't like a ton of research to indicate that if you can't afford organic, that you shouldn't buy that product at all. There's so many benefits to eating um, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, those type of foods that I would hate if somebody felt like they can't have strawberries, for example, just because they can't afford organic, an organic product. So what you're saying is focus on the quality of the yes. food. Yes, yes. And, and that's because that's where the benefit comes from and how that interacts and how you metabolize that is based upon what it is. Correct. Um, berries, especially, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the MIND diet. Um, the MIND diet was developed for to help reduce neurodegenerative diseases. The actual um, name of it is Mediterranean-Intervention for Neurodegenerative Delay. So there's been a lot of research regarding the MIND diet and preventing, for example, Alzheimer's disease, which clearly none of us really want to get as we get older. And what was interesting was that um, they pushed Berries, there's actually a list of 10 foods that they recommend, and there's about eight that they recommend not to consume. And berries is the number one on the list because of the amount of phytonutrients in those berries that help prevent oxidative stress and inflammation in the brain. So it kind of doesn't matter whether they're organic or not. It's what's in the actual berry that's important, the makeup of the berry that's important. So that's really important to know because yeah. if you, and it doesn't matter, strawberry, blackberry, raspberry, blueberry. Correct. Wow. Yeah. It's those brightly colored fruits and vegetables, but with the mind diet, they don't push just fruit, for example, like the Mediterranean diet does. And I hope maybe we could go over, there's a new research study that just came out um, yesterday, in fact, that does go over um, the benefits of Mediterranean diet and preventing um, some of these neurodegenerative diseases as well. And it's interesting, the MIND diet actually pushes berries, like, um, like what you just said, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, blackberries, they all have these amazing antioxidant benefits. So, you know, what you mentioned the Mediterranean diet. Yes. And that I, I read about everywhere. That's actually a diet that I personally aspire yes. to. Yes. And let's talk about that recent sure. study. So this research study just came out on March 8th. If it would be helpful to your listeners, I'd be glad to send you a link to it so you could post it for your listeners. Um, but this research study found that both the Mediterranean and the MIND diets they found that there were fewer plaques in the brain associated with Alzheimer's disease. This is more of like a longer term study where it was, they researchers did analyze the brains of over 500 individuals, close to 600, who did donate their brains to science. So clearly they ate a certain way and filled out questionnaires before they passed on. 
And then their brains went off to be researched. And what, what was found, which is very interesting, was that those individuals who ate more leafy greens, for example, like spinach and kale and those type of foods, did have less plaques in their brain. And their brain actually showed to be younger then it had less plaques than somebody who was 4.25 years younger than them, which was which I find very interesting. And actually, if we can prevent Alzheimer's or other age-related dementia by eating healthy, I say go for it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's so funny because growing up, my mom always said, you are what you eat. <laughs> And I used to hate that. I used oh, to, yeah. but it's, <laughs> but, and as I've grown up, I've learned it is so true. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely true. And, you know, I think we all know there, there are certain foods that we need to really pay attention to yeah. how much of it we eat. Caffeine yeah. and sugar, sugar mm-hmm. is a neurotoxin. I've had so many people tell me, sure, sugar doesn't bother me. It doesn't get me amped up. You know, mm-hmm. I don't feel really feel anything when I eat sugar. Well, you may not on a cognitive level, but what, how that sugar is interacting within your brain and within your body, you may not, you may not see the full effect of that for another five or 10 years. Yeah. And, and what foods are those sugar rich foods displacing in your diet? That's interesting to see also. So if you're, let's say, having um, pastries for breakfast, example, not not condoning that, you're displacing other healthy foods that you could be having to start your day. And in fact, pastries and sweets are on the, are, are five of the food, one of the five foods to avoid on the mind diet. So I agree with you on that, that, you know, we have to think about making better choices. And that's not to say you can never have a cookie ever again, but again, it's within limitations and moderation and you don't want to eat an entire sleeve of cookies, for example, or an entire carton of ice cream for a meal or even on a daily basis, probably not the best option. So you mentioned there were five foods to avoid. Yes. What are the others? So the first one is butters and margarine. They do recommend um, eating less than a tablespoon of those foods daily. Margarine, the caveat is because it is it can be hydrogenated. We there are really are no trans fats anymore um, on the market, so we don't really have to be afraid of that. But a lot of these products, like butter, does contain some saturated fat, so they do recommend using olive oil instead for cooking and you know for bread dipping on bread. The other food was cheese. And they recommend eating cheese less than once per week. And I'm guessing it's because of the saturated fat amount. Red meat as well. The recommendation was no more than three servings a week. And this also, keep in mind, includes beef, pork, lamb, and any products that are made from those type of meats. Like if it's a ground meat or if someone's eating, I don't know, hot dogs. I'm just coming up with something off the top of my head. The other food would be fried foods and 
I'm not talking about sauteing in some olive oil or using your air fryer, but more like deep fat fried foods, like something you'd get in a restaurant or fast food. And then the fifth one are the pastries and sweets that I mentioned previously. And these are pretty much all the processed snacks and desserts that you could think of. And they recommend definitely limiting them. They don't say to eliminate them 100%, but to eliminate them to no more than four times per week. I would think even less than that personally. I'm amazed. Sugar is in everything. Oh yeah. When I when I looked at how much sugar was in ketchup. Oh yeah. I just about died. And barbecue sauce and salad dressing. How about I mean, bre- how about whole wheat bread? <sighs> I don't know if you're aware of that. I I have clients that will send me pictures of whole wheat bread that they purchase. I'm not going to name brands, but this one brand comes across as extremely healthy. It's low calorie. And when you flip it over and you look at the food label, it does have a lot of fiber in it, but it also, some of them have up to three to four grams of sugar per slice. So that's a teaspoon of sugar per slice of bread. That's significant in my mind where you could buy sprouted wheat bread like Ezekiel or Trader Joe's makes a copy of Ezekiel, which is very affordable. That has zero grams of of added sugar. So again, you're right. A lot of hidden sugar, a lot. And I think people don't necessarily know that. And, you know, because I've had people say, look, I don't eat any cookies. I don't eat cakes. I don't eat pies. I'm a really healthy eater Mm -hmm. and, and that is certainly some good steps in the right direction. Right. But when you look at what you are eating Mm -hmm. and one of the first growing up, one of the first things that my mom taught me to do is read the back of the box, read the label. Your mom was pretty smart, wasn't she? She was, (laughs) you know, good thing that she didn't think I needed to be able to pronounce anything. Yeah. Because I I can't pronounce any of those words. And that's, but to me, that's another red flag. Well, not, not, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you. I'm sorry about that. Not necessarily because sometimes the words on the back are simply the vitamins written in their scientific words. Their scientific names. Oh, good point. So, yeah. So they're harder to pronounce. Now, I'm not talking about if you look at the back and there's all sorts of crazy stuff in there and you're like, okay, this is not a vitamin. But sometimes there's stabilizers that are necessary in foods to prevent clumping or to make it a better quality product, for example. We have to always remember that the dose makes the poison. So in cases where we're looking at the back and maybe we can't read what's on the back and those, um, you know, the ingredient list, it's important to question a, a credential professional. If you don't understand, you could Google, Google's great. Um, but understand that even if there's something in there that might set up a, make you nervous, the amount that's in that food and the amount you're consuming per serving is insignificant. So that's important to remember also. So we don't have people freaking out when they're looking at the food label. So what I do with my clients, I tell them to just read the little, the little actual food label, the box and pay attention to like how much added sugar that to me is like a buzzword, how much protein, how much fiber is in the food, how much saturated fat to look at those versus worrying so much about 
the long ingredient list because sometimes again like what you were saying it could be vitamins so you know and it is hard to pronounce sometimes some of them i can't pronounce so what you're saying is that you don't really need to understand everything on the back of the label but there are certain things that you need to pay attention to that are, are the most impactful and those things are I feel the most important things, again, this, a lot of this depends on what is your goal. So there's different things that I have clients look at depending on what their end goal is, but typically on a food label, I'll have them check total fat, but there's a caveat. If the food is an avocado or nuts, it's going to be a high fat product. That doesn't necessarily mean it's bad for you perhaps. So it's important to look at the food that is the food label is on to really differentiate. Is this too much fat? Is it too much sat fat? But I like to have clients with whole grains, look at how much fibers in a food, the more fiber, the better. And then look at it, the added sugar. I like to make sure that, especially if it's a bread or you mentioned hidden sources like tomato sauce. I don't get why there's sugar in tomato sauce personally. Um, but if something has five grams of sugar per serving, that's a lot. And then look at the protein. If your goal is to up your protein, check and see, is this a rich, a, a food that is rich in protein? Well, thank you for bringing up protein Yeah, because protein is interesting. I know several people that overload on protein oh, yeah. and they feel like that that's all they need to, I just need to get my protein for muscle development, for this, mm -hmm. for that. Talk to me about protein. Love that question. Um, first of all, just eating protein isn't going to give you muscles. I wish it would. It would be the most amazing thing ever, but it doesn't work like that. Um, interestingly enough, like women like you and I, especially 50 plus, we're already, well, even with men, we're all starting to lose muscle mass as we age. It's called, It's a medical term called sarcopenia. And it's not something we can unfortunately prevent, but we could slow it down by exercising through weightlifting, using heavy weights, lifting to um, exhaustion or to failure, I should say, is a better term. Um, and then refueling after those workouts with adequate protein, because what the, what the um, strength training is doing is essentially like tearing the muscles in order to regrow them. I'm, I'm really simplifying this for your audience. And the protein does help to repair and grow the muscle. It does help support muscle mass. So with the recommended daily allowance of protein per day is for women, and I'm going to recommend actually higher than this, but it's 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. A kilogram of body weight is pounds divided by 2.2. So that's an easy way to do the math. But most women aren't even consuming that much because you have your women who only eat protein, like what you just said, and some that don't like protein and eat so little protein that they're not consuming enough. So I've even recommended that women get up to like 1.2 grams per kilogram, especially my women from my women's cycling nutrition group. Uh, they're athletes, they're, you know, working out a lot. So they need a little more protein. But if you're only consuming protein, number one, you're probably going to have some GI upset. There's, there's no way anybody could just eat protein. I think you'd have taste fatigue. You'd probably have constipation from just a protein diet. 
again, you're displacing really important foods out of the diets. So that's important to note too, that it needs to be a very fine line and a fine balance between the two, between all three macronutrients, actually. Well, you know, we've only got about three minutes left before we go to break. So let's mm -hmm. use the rest of the time we have just kind of for general education mm -hmm. on basic good eating because it's so confusing and yes. different cultures have have different norms. Yes. And, you know, it really is. I mean, to me, it's pretty easy. Number one, stay away from fried foods. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what it is. If it's fried, stay away from it. Now, the air fryer has come into play. Yes. And I think that's opened some doors. Are, is the air fryer healthy? I love my air fryer. I'm late to the game with an air fryer. Got one about, I don't know, three months ago. Very happy with it. You're using olive oil in order to, as a frying agent, and you're only misting it. It's a great way to get that crunch and to cook foods relatively quickly in, you know, especially for busy families, I'm a fan of air fryers. Um, I think if you can afford one, go grab one. But a quick way just to make sure that you're getting everything that you need. I'm, I'm a big proponent of the hunger scale. We can go over that after the break if you want. But a good way to, um, no matter what your culture is, no matter what your food choices are, just to make sure you're getting at least four to five servings of vegetables a day, two to three servings of fruit a day to make sure you're getting around the amount of protein that I just recommended and try to get at least eight servings of carbs in a day. And that way it kind of doesn't matter what are the carbs, what are the fruits? You make those decisions. And I use that a lot with my clients to empower them so that they can um, make those choices for themselves. Well, I think, you know, carbs is something that I, is also confusing to people. Yes. Because there are good carbs and there are bad yes. carbs. And you hear so many things like, don't eat white, don't eat white bread, don't eat white rice, don't eat white potatoes. Yeah. Uh, so you hear these things and, and you generalize. And I think that many of us, you know, it sounds good. Stay away from the whites. Mm -hmm. But it also, when you think about it, it sounds pretty complicated. So I, what I'd like to do is we've, you, we've got so much information yeah. to share about really how to think about what you eat in a healthy way. So stay with us, listeners. We'll take a break and we'll come back and we've got a lot more good information to share with you. We'll be back after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. 
USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. It's words you never heard. Got a lead foot? According to state troopers, here's what not to do when you get pulled over. Don't be a lachrymist and start crying right away. It doesn't help. But if you're under 20, crying won't be held against you. Don't ask for a break. Don't yell or start any argy-bargy. And one trooper said, if they're going to flirt with me to get out of a ticket, it would probably insult my intelligence. But unfortunately, I don't get hit on all that often. So flirting or being a gill flirt won't work. Did you know that 15% of all drivers get 76% of all traffic tickets? And the odds of winning if you challenge a traffic ticket in court are 1 in 3. So what should you do when you get pulled over for speeding? Be courteous to the officer, and most of all, be honest. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So it's interesting to me how often color comes up when we're talking about mm-hmm. food, because I've often been told, eat the rainbow, yes. eat every, you know, every color that you can. And then I've been told since I was young, stay away from the whites, the white bread, the white rice, the white potatoes. But I always thought of those things as carbs. Mm-hmm. And so are those non-nutritional carbs? That's such a good question. Um, Carbs are a bunch of different foods. So carbohydrates are rice, doesn't matter if it's brown or white. Um, Potatoes, you have, um, you know, pasta, oatmeal, bread, even fruits are carbs. They have carbs in them and vegetables have carbs in them. So it's interesting. There's a lot of different sources of carbohydrates. The difference between some carbs and and other carbs is the nutrient density of the carbohydrates. So foods like oatmeal and quinoa and rice and beans and whole wheat pasta and whole wheat bread are going to definitely be a little bit more nutrient dense. They're a little less processed. They contain more whole grains and actually whole grains are one of the foods that are on the mind diet that are recommended to consume at least three servings a day. So the foods that are whole grains are going to be naturally higher in fiber, which are going to keep you fuller longer. And there's a lot of research to back up that higher fiber foods do protect us against certain um, comorbidities like diabetes and also heart disease. So there's nothing wrong with white potatoes. Um, they're not processed. There's actually a lot of nutrition in potatoes, but something like white rice, white bread, it's not that it's horrible to eat. It's just eat them in moderation. So if your culture is somebody who eats white rice versus brown rice, 
nothing wrong with that, but just make sure that you're still getting in those whole grains during the day, perhaps with some oatmeal or some whole wheat pasta, if that's something that your family enjoys, or just switching from white bread to whole wheat bread. So you mentioned whole wheat pasta. Yes. You know, I, there's so many different kinds of pastas out there right now. There's rice pasta. There's there's just the pasta section has really expanded. Exploded. Any it just kind of general information on the different sure. types of pasta? Absolutely. So something like a brown rice pasta or a chickpea pasta, those are all gluten-free pastas. I would recommend those for somebody who perhaps suffers from celiac disease. They would need to avoid um, gluten, otherwise they get severely ill. So some people just feel like they are a little gluten sensitive or they don't feel great. They, their tummies hurt perhaps after eating whole wheat pasta or pasta. Maybe they have irritable bowel syndrome and it's just a food that doesn't sit well with them. They can absolutely try some of the um, gluten-free type pastas and they've come a long way. Some of them taste like wheat pasta. It's pretty interesting they used to be really mushy and disintegrate when you would cook them. And now they're actually really good products. And I, and there are some of them that I, I have a little dietitian recommendation list. I give my clients and I have quite a few that I, I like the textures of them that I will recommend. And they are relatively high, a little bit higher in protein as well, because most of them are made from beans, from bean sources. Well, you bring up such an interesting point, and that is texture. Yes. Texture is a big deal to me. Yes. If, if I, you know, it sounds good. I think I'm going to like it. I like, I think I like everything that's in it. But if the texture is off, that will stop me right there. Yeah. I, I've actually had some clients that won't eat certain foods because they don't enjoy the texture. One of the main foods would be yogurt. That's usually one that people can't get past the texture or cottage cheese because of the, um, the, the little mold, the curds. So yeah, I think you have to enjoy the food. We eat with our eyes first. So if the food in front of you doesn't look pleasant, more than likely you're not going to eat it. So if something makes you have this adverse feeling towards it. There's other foods out there. You know, the, the one caveat I give, if this is happening across the board with a lot of foods, then honestly, you might have a little disordered eating and might want to seek treatment for that. There's actually a name for that um, it's called ARFID. But, you know, more most people just have a few aversions to different types of foods. And I think that's really actually quite normal. Well, I think it's so interesting to me because I'll, there's so much that I see about food. And I mean, like we work with a lot of people with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always looking into that. But I've I've read articles that say red dye is one of the worst things for people with ADHD. And, and, it will, and actually all probably artificial dyes. But it's amazing to me that they attribute brain fog and the mm -hmm. hyperactivity and memory problems and focus issues. They The research kind of supports pointing that to things like the allergens, like gluten or corn or soy mm -hmm. or dyes or 
Oh, artificial sweeteners. We haven't talked about those yet. Oh yeah, we'll definitely talk about that. I just want to say I'm not an expert on ADHD or dyes, but I will say that if your specific child or you in general feels like something isn't sitting well with you or there is a reaction in your child, by all means, try to do an elimination type diet and figure out what that specific food is. I'll tell you a very interesting story. When my son was young, we would notice that when he ate tuna, he would misbehave in school. Um, I think it was the mercury, to be honest. So we switched him. He loved tuna fish, though. So we switched him to canned salmon. And he kind of didn't know the difference. He was young. He was probably in elementary school at the time. And I found that interesting that I put two and two together. So I think every individual and every child is, again, like I just said, an individual. And it is important to find out what triggers your specific child or your specific self. What isn't sitting well with you? And there's other foods out there and you don't have to eat that food if that food is not appropriate for your life. Well, and I think we have certain memories attached with foods mm-hmm. too. We do. And because I had a client that every Sunday she cooked fried chicken for her mm-hmm. family and mashed potatoes with gravy. Oh yeah. And I mean, and yeah, and, and mac and cheese and, and oh, it would sound so good. But when I suggested to her that maybe they, she doesn't cook that every Sunday, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I have to cook that every Sunday. That's that's part of her family culture. Yeah. And, you know, so I was so amazed at the emotional attachment that yeah. she had with that dinner. It's it's really interesting. I think, you know, food is about um, love. Food is about family. Food is 100% cultural. So in a case like that, I would meet the client where they were at, let them have that meal because it means so much to them. And that's probably how she was showing her love to her family. Um, You know, I grew up with a grandmother like that who she showed her love um, through other ways, obviously, but she loved to cook and bake for us. So it does bring up really nice memories when certain holidays come and I think about the foods that she made and I pull out her recipes and I try to recreate them. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of emotion tied to food. That's why I always tell whenever my clients come to me, I'm going to be honest, it's never usually about the food. It's about other things that might be associated with the food, but the food is not usually the precipitating factor. So once you do a little, you know, talking and doing a little assessment, a lot of things bubble to the surface. It's a, it's amazing. You know, it's so interesting to me. I, I have my first grandbaby. Oh, and congratulations. Thank you. And she turned one, and I was there for her first birthday, and her mom had made her a little cake. And she eats pretty healthy. She doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, she sat there and she looked at that cake like, what do I do with it? And, yeah. and she, I caught her looking at me like, well, do you want it? And yeah, but you know, so finally her mom came over and and gave her a bite and introduced yeah. her to it. And, but she, her immediate response to it because she really didn't know what it was. Yeah, she's like, I'm not really sure what to do with this. That's so interesting. It's foreign for them because you would assume that a one year old wouldn't be eating cake. 
So it's interesting. I know that the one-year-old party is when you introduce them to the cake and you videotape them smashing into it and smearing it all over themselves. Um, but it's interesting that we gravitate towards what we're comfortable with. Um, it's just like if you went to a foreign country and you went to a food market, you might be a little apprehensive to try some of the food because it's something that is out of your comfort zone. So that cake was clearly out of her comfort zone. She didn't know what to do with it. It's it's really sweet. And I thought, you know, I hope she, I hope she kind of stays that way. But, but food is like everything else. Balance. Moderation. 100%. And even with a, a, a meal plan like the Mind Diet and the Mediterranean Diet, obviously these are ideals that we want to strive to meet. But if you're going to a party or if you're on vacation, that's not to say that you can't indulge every now and then also, because I think that sets us up for other issues if we're being too strict. Um you know, you're going to go the other way. It's just like taking the Halloween candy away from your child and hiding it and not letting them have one piece. They're going to find a way to have that Halloween candy, whether they're going to find it and sit in the closet and binge on it, or they're going to go to a friend's house and binge on the candy because it's a forbidden fruit. And that's something that I tend to work on with, I mainly work with women and I, I try to teach them to take those foods off the pedestal and just knock them off the pedestal because they're just food like anything else. And the interesting thing is once they're given permission to eat that food, they don't worship it anymore and it doesn't have control over their lives. So I'm hoping your granddaughter ends up getting the same way in terms of cake, because if she's introduced to cake and allowed to eat cake every now and then, she's not going to worship that cake as this forbidden thing that, you know, oh, my God, I'm not allowed to have this. And that's when you want it more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's at the root of it. I think of a lot of addictions. hundred percent. And let's talk about food addiction. Because I do, I do think that food addiction, it's the same addiction, whether in the brain, what's going on, whether it's food or alcohol or gambling, it's the same, it's the same neurobiological process that's going on. Yeah, the problem is we, we could give up alcohol and not drink. We cannot gamble. Um, But we we have to eat. Exactly. We have to eat. So a lot of it is really working with somebody who's going to help you with your relationship and mindset surrounding food. And if it is to a point where there is disordered eating, perhaps it's really important to seek out um, an individual who is informed on eating disorders or disordered eating that can help somebody overcome these issues because it can be really difficult. And Jumping from diet to diet to diet isn't going to solve the problem. You know, starving yourself one day and then just eating all fat the next day isn't going to solve your issues um, by any means. It's just going to make things worse. So let's talk about the healthy way to diet. Sure. Because a lot of people out there, they binge eat. They'll eat nothing for, for three or four days. Yeah. And then they go crazy. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Um, You know, I feel like the healthiest way to diet is not to diet at all in a way. 
Um, you know, and also having that support system, that's where something like healthy wage would come in in a way because they are diet agnostic and you could lose weight any way that you feel comfortable. So you're not relying on, you know, a fad type diet where you're restricting entire food groups and you're also restricting your calories down to levels where your one-year-old granddaughter is consuming more calories than you as a grown adult. That's crazy. So a lot of what I do is, I, I know I mentioned this before the break, but I work on something called the hunger scale with my clients where it's more like an intuitive type eating process where they're a little bit more mindful about food, where they're eating when they're hungry. And we make snacking not optional, especially in that crazy, horrible time of like between three and four in the afternoon, or, you know, we all start getting itchy and we need something. Um, but making sure their bodies are fed. And like what you said, not starving yourself all day or the day before. And then of course your body's going to catch up. Your brain is crying for nutrition and you're just going to go and start binging on things that are more than likely non-nutritive that aren't going to benefit you in the long run. What have you found people's biggest struggle to be with managing? Because you pointed out earlier in our conversation, losing the weight. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not the hardest thing. It's not. I know. It, you know, listen, I'm not negating the fact that starting to make healthy choices isn't hard. I think one of the biggest issues that a lot of individuals take is they feel like they have to do it all at once. I, I think about from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that little girl that would say, you know, daddy, I want it now. Um, you know, she wanted everything. I think it was Veruca Salt. She wanted everything right then and there. We can't change habits that we've had for 50 years in two weeks, a month, or one session. So I work longer term with my clients, but I think the biggest mistake people make is they don't give themselves the grace and the time to really adapt to these new healthier lifestyles. They overdo it. They take on too much at once. They make too many changes at once and then they get burnt out and they're like, I don't want to do this. Or they go away for a weekend and they haven't fully ingrained their one good habit. They feel like they did something wrong. And the, the, when they come back, they're like, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. It's just you can't do everything at once. You have to take one habit at a time, one habit. It might take a month to work on one habit. And honestly, that's okay. You didn't gain the weight in a month. So I, I think people don't realize that they want instant gratification, and there's no such thing. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. Well, but, you know, that's such a good point because the world that we live in mm -hmm. with social media, mm -hmm. we get an instant response yes. that we've, we actually think that we absolutely have to have it instantaneously and we don't, we, yeah. it takes time. What is when you say one habit at a time? So for someone out there that maybe drinks a fair amount of soda. Would the first step be to take the soda out of your diet? I would probably tell them, let's say somebody's drinking a two liter bottle of soda a day. Ooh. I, I, yeah, I know that was a crazy example, right? But it's out there. People are doing that. Um, I do remember back in the day I had a client who was addicted to chocolate milk. 
and she drank a ton of chocolate milk. Now, chocolate milk is a great post-workout if you've done, you know, a long cycle or you've done running. It's got a great, you know, carb to protein ratio. But if you're just chugging chocolate milk all day, it's loaded with sugar. So we worked on cutting her down a little bit. So even in terms of the soda, if they're drinking five cups of soda a day, how about we take it to four and then we do three and then two, then one um, and take it slow enough. So they almost don't realize that it's happening. And then all of a sudden it's out of their lives. And also they don't go into withdrawal. If something like soda has got a lot of caffeine in it. And if you drop the caffeine like that, they could end up with a mic, you know, some bad headaches. But yeah, slowly, slowly, slowly. So it becomes almost like a like a habit that just ingrained in your body that, okay, instead of grabbing the soda, I'm grabbing water instead, or I'm grabbing a sparkly seltzer instead that is sugar-free, something like that, just so they can make those changes and it's not where, okay. Uh, Mrs. A, you're cutting out soda. We're getting rid of all your fried food. We're going to eat, you know, five servings of vegetables, three fruits, and and eight whole grains. And telling them this in one session, what's the likelihood somebody's going to do all that? Not very likely. Yeah, they're probably never going to call me again, and they're going to say this woman is crazy. But a lot of fad diets do that. There's food rule upon food rule upon food rule, and that's why people get burnt out they drop the weight and then the yo-yo back. They can't stay on the, with those extreme food rules. Well, and I think that your point is well taken. It's got to be doable and people have got to believe they can do it. Mm-hmm. When you go through all that and people think, man, that's the most depressing thing. If yeah. that's, if that's the way I have to live my life, is that the most depressing thing? That is the most depressing thing. Yeah. And, that just makes me want to shut down that fight, mm-hmm. flight, or freeze mode. I'm just going to freeze and just shut down because that's no, I, I've had people tell me when we talk mm-hmm. about diet, that's no way to live my life. Right. You make a great point. And I, I, I think that um, that's why meeting your clients where they're at is so important and finding out what is their important goals. Like I don't set my clients goals for them. They set their goals. If they don't meet the goal, I don't rebuke them. I don't yell at them clearly. I just support them. So maybe we could find a goal that they can meet for the next session. Um, and my, my tagline is live your lifestyle. If you can't live your lifestyle, not just in your home environment, but also on vacation or at a party or at a friend's house or going out to a restaurant, that's, that's not a lifestyle. That's, that's not a meal plan you should be on. Anybody can eat healthy no matter where they are in the world. It, it's completely doable. It's just making the right choices and making sure it's part of your life. That's really what it's all about. Well, that belief that you can do it, I think, yeah. is part of it, too, because people will come in and, and automatically, you know, I'll talk about lifestyle choices and mm-hmm. changes that, you know, if you could just start exercising every yeah. week, not every day, every week. Right. And, you know, I find people will say, well, you know what, I could probably do it every week, whereas mm-hmm. if I say, Every day. Oh, oh, 
No, you know, so because they, they know they can't do that and they yeah. know they won't. And they know that they're setting themselves up for failure. They have to believe that they can't, they absolutely can do it. Yeah. And once a week, you know, I think sometimes it sounds easier than it is. Yeah. Because you got to get there before you can do it. And that means you got to change your schedule or you have to change the schedule of a family member. So I do recognize lifestyle choices are so difficult to change. They are. They are. It really is. And, you know, we've talked about so many good things. We've got about three minutes left. What messages would you like our listeners to take away from this conversation? I think definitely one of my most important ones that I tell all the women that I work with is to give yourself some grace so that, for example, if you haven't met your goal yet, it's okay. There's still time. Your life isn't over. And any changes and adaptations that you make are only going to benefit you for the better. Just like what you said, if you exercise once a week versus zero times a week, that's definitely an improvement. And and it's and find that thing that's going to empower you. What's going to make you want to improve your lifestyle? You know, it doesn't have to be eating perfect all the time. Nobody does that. I'd lie. I always tell my clients, I'd lie if I said I eat perfect all the time. Um, I eat cookies every now and then and and other stuff because it's delicious. But again, it's having that fine balance and then also not getting rid of the feeling that you need it. You need to lose all your weight at once. Slow and steady wins the race. Extremely that is, important. That's great advice, really, and it's yeah. very, very reassuring. So for our listeners that would like to learn more about you sure. or where, where can they find you? I'm sure you're someplace online. Yes, I have a few websites I'll give you. Um, first one is Your Virtual Nutritionist. They can actually sign up for a free mini consultation if they would like. I'll get on a, on a quick call with them. Um, I have a website called Women's Cycling Nutrition that, and I have a great Facebook group. So for those active women out there, please feel free to join. It's free. Lots of great information available. And my other site is in, is fishernutritionsystems.com. And they could just shoot me a message on there as well if they want to get in touch. And that Fisher is F-I-S-H-E-R, correct? Correct. Yes. No C. That's correct. That that's that's great to know. Well, I mean, we could talk forever. We could go on and on. I'm thinking about, oh, I didn't get a chance to ask this or I didn't get a chance to ask that. And and that's a great conversation because I'm sure some of our listeners have the same questions in their head. And I encourage people to get the answers if it doesn't cost you anything to get an answer and even find out about how you can get paid to lose weight. There's all kinds of good information to get. Suzanne, can't thank you enough for your expertise. Thank you. On behalf of Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, 
iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 